Hello and welcome to Album vs. Album. I'm Lucas and this is my co-host and friend, Kale Judy. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> it was so formal. Oh yeah, well, it's this like, is a podcast where we talk about albums and the best albums by the best artists. And we do it by having a barrel of yaks and yucks and laughs. It's like reading the funny pages on a Sunday. <laughs> album corner yes welcome back to the cozy corner and yeah i mean this is our first time doing it in person since this year i guess we did well no we did one in february make me a liar sure i mean (laughs) um yeah no you're right but since since the uh the virus oh yeah right so since the uh the pandemic is uh sort of verbally and um, but it's still now cool to be together again, which is very exciting. Um, yeah. Well, you're not positive, right? No, I'm positive I'm not positive. Oh, good one. I'm positive that I missed you, buddy. <laughs> missed you too, man. It's nice to be together. I feel like the last couple were were fun and they're good episodes, but it does feel a little... It's different when you don't have the... You can't, I can't look you in your, in your eyes. You know, I can't, I can't look at you, feel it in your plums, you know, when we're... Yeah, talking about a record because that is something you do a lot while we talk so you do that with your hands so Kale how how have you been I I haven't uh, I know we've spoken recently but I haven't seen you so um I'm doing uh I'm doing alright buddy I uh yeah I think I think things have been good like um it's been a really nice summer mm-hmm. it was kind of a chilly and, and kind of wet and kind of not very summery for a while, as has been the case the last few years. But well, we do live in Vancouver. It's true. It, it, I mean, it was very apropos for Vancouver. But yeah, the last like last weekend, as an example, was great. Like, um, had a buddy in from out of town, and him and Laura and I went to go see this uh, Ken Monkman exhibit at the Museum of Anthropology, and then we went to um, Brome Lake, which is this beautiful um, lake, kind of up just past Squamish. Oh yeah, and it was amazing. We just had like our super nice day there. We, we, Sounds lovely. It was great. We left when there was this big family of, I think, maybe like um, Spanish, a big Spanish family. And they were, there was also like a group of teenagers who I imagine were maybe local who were there. And they had like dueling, like sort of UE booms going on. Where mm. like they were like cranking up this like Latin music. And then these other guys were cranking up like SoundCloud rap. And it was a, oh boy, it's getting tough. Quite the mix. Um, what would you say, kind of something we were talking about right before this started, but what is something you miss the most right now about not being able to go out in public and meet with groups? Honestly, like, and I mean, I think it's also appropriate for, you know, our show, but I, I really do miss going to see like local concerts. Like you and I had tickets to go see John Moreland at the Wise Hall and obviously that got canceled and. Me and uh, my buddy Jordan were supposed to see Nick Cave in October. Oh, yeah. The storytelling one, right? Well, we saw that last oh, year. Oh, that was last year. So this tour, he was doing Ghostini, his new record. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, so, so that's I saw him at the same concert you saw him last time with uh, the a skeleton tree. Oh yeah, that's that was, right. That was amazing. Yeah, you were up there for that show. That was incredible. That was incredible. That was one of the best live shows I've ever seen. Yeah, he's dude, and that's what I was gonna say. Uh, like for this show, I got his floor tickets, so we were gonna be like on the floor. We we're gonna go early. We we're gonna like try and get as close. To, we wanted to get sweated on by Nick Cave. That was yeah. cool. And uh, sadly, that's. But not now cool. you don't want to get sweated on by anyone. No, exactly. It's like you can't. Uh... He actually did something really interesting. I don't know if you saw on. Uh, the socials, but he did a one night only streaming event where he played a solo show at a piano and uh, it was only available for I think 24 hours, but it looks beautiful. Cool. Yeah. It's, I. Classic Nick Cave doing something beautiful. I know. It's great. What would you say that you missed the most? Well, um, I definitely this? do not disagree with you. I think live music, I, I understand its value more than ever. I understand how good it feels, and, and only with the hindsight glasses on, I can say that live music is something that really brings a unique type of joy and, and a unique type of... It's, it's a unique experience in every way, and it makes me really happy, and I I miss it. I miss, I miss the, the crowd of people rubbing up against each other in a bar. I miss the smell. I miss the ringing ears the next day I miss this singer you know trying their best and singing maybe a little bit out of key because they're human and not the recorded version of themselves I just miss the human the humanness of it I miss the human a bunch of humans gathering into a little cave together and listening to another one another human sing to us I, I just I love it I love it and I it's I can't wait for it to come back I would be curious to know, as someone who used to play a lot of concerts when you were in the Februarys, how does it feel to be on the other side, like at a show, like when you're on stage performing for an audience at like a packed bar like that? Um, and say not in your hometown, especially, but like what, like what does that feel like when you're on stage, mm -hmm. being the one delivering that experience? Well, um, if you're like me and it for so much of it, it's all about ego. <laughs> then, yeah, it's all about, like, there. there's a, I mean, I joke, but it is true. There's a big part that I struggled with. It's, you know, I, I get to show everyone how awesome I am and what I can do. But more on, like, a deeper level, it's it's very, it's like, remember show and tell when you were in kindergarten? Mm -hmm. It's like that on this profound level because you're sharing something you helped create. Or, you know, if you're a solo artist that you created and you're sharing it with people and generally they're vibing with it. So it's very uh, satisfying and it's also, I mean, there's a nerve to it for sure that you're nervous. But once you get that out of the way, once you're older, more seasoned, it's just like I'm, people are getting into something I made and that's, that's a very satisfying, very, uh. It's almost sexual because it's like, while it's not physical and really, I mean, I'm, I'm not a very sexy being. Uh, well. You just shaped it. It looks yeah. baby smooth. But like it's sexual in the way that it's intimate and um, to screw it up is embarrassing in a way that's more embarrassing than other aspects of performing it in a human life. So to do it in a way that someone appreciates 
is very uh, satisfying on like a deeper level to yes your ego but also like a, a sensitive like inner child that needs some redemption and some recognition so like going on stage and being like here's a song I wrote and it's a song that is about a breakup or something and to have people listen to it one it's amazing to have someone give you the time and space and and that but then also to have them enjoy it it's like we've shared something that's you know we wouldn't share that with words and we wouldn't share with uh meeting each other it's like it's very unique I, I, I'm kind of at a loss for words I wish I was more uh, equipped for this but you know overall I'd say like performing for me it, it very quickly became sort of a high like an almost I wasn't addicted to it but it, there's nothing like it so it was very cathartic for me knowing that people were responding to something I made it was, it was you know it's like yeah they like my shit well, that's great, buddy. Ultimately, well, I joked about the ego. It never, it truly was not about the ego. It was like, I want to share this, and I think it's good enough to, to share it, you know? And, yeah. and that was it. And we'll see how the next one goes. I know, I'm excited. You're, uh, you got your EP working on. Yeah, we'll talk about that later, like, when it's more done. Okay, we'll, we'll, but I will, um, we'll tease it, though. We're teasing it. Right yeah, now. there's an EP coming, guys. So keep your eyes to the skies. Your voice sounds extra velvety and rocky. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. My voice like started cracking on the once I got here, so I just was nervous to see you, I think. Uh, that's very sweet. <laughs> Alright, well today the album we're doing so today was your choice. It is my choice. Um, so today we are talking about Bridge Over Troubled Water, the last record from the duo Simon and it's Paul and Art. Uh, it's what's crazy about this record too is like they had this like culmination where like every record they got more and more popular. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to get uh, listeners' thoughts on which record they love if they love bookends or this record more but what I can tell you from a sales vantage point is that Bridge Over Troubled Water I think it's one of the top 100 best selling records of all time I don't doubt that like it sold an estimated 25 million copies uh, yeah I mean it's it's wild and that not, is wild not that record sales necessitate like what is the best but it is kind well, of because then Nickelback would be like one of the best right no, I'm sure they're up there I'm sure they're up there they <laughs> They service a need for people, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, Men who need to get their aggression out somehow. <laughs> exactly. Um, so maybe while... So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So what we're going to do is um, start with a little... Maybe a little bio. Of for sure. So this was my record to do a bit more research on since I picked it. So um, this is also information you can find on Wikipedia, which I will reading of this. So just, you know, lay all my cards on the table here, guys. But uh, Simon and Garfunkel have a very in-depth Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. Well, Simon and Garfunkel, I mean, if you want to do research on any song on this record, there are blogs and YouTube videos and 
Reddit threads, every song, every lyric has been dissected for sure. Let me hit you with the question before I jump into the bio. Yeah. I'm going to say something, and you tell me the smell. First thing that comes to your mind when I say these words. Smell. A, a smell. Don't, don't, don't overthink it. Okay. A smell. Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, the smell of my grandma's basement. Nice. That's good. I don't know why. <laughs> That's good. That's what I'm saying. We're... You're floating off the top. Yeah. The smell of my grandma's basement. Basement. What did your grandma's basement smell like? If you had to know. delve into that a little more. Kind of fabricy and dusty and I don't know, some kind of cleaner. Some cleaner. Something that she put there. She had a vacuum that was wet. I think it was what called like the. Had a really interesting name. I want to call it the cyclone, but I don't know if that was what it was called. Anyway. But nostalgic the, cl- smell. the cleaning of that vacuum is what the place smelled like. That and <laughs> dust and must. But it, there was an NES there too. But there was a, there's a nostalgic feeling to that for you. For some reason, that's what I picture when you said that. Okay, that's good. No, I'm, I'm going to get you back with that later, okay? okay yeah. When you're not expecting it. Yeah, you're going to get me later with that. So, uh, so, this, so Simon and Garfunkel have a very uh, interesting genesis. So Didn't know that. They are an American folk rock duo. Consisting of Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel. Um, they are considered one of the best selling music groups of the 1960s. Um, you'll know them for hits like The Sound of Silence, Mrs. Robinson, The Boxer, and the title track Bridge Over Troubled Water, um, which reached number one on music charts worldwide. And um, what is the number, most number one song of all time? Well, I don't know if it's the number one song of all time, but Bridge Over Troubled Water reached number one on singles charts. Oh, at the time, it was number one. Wow. At the time, in 1970. Good yeah. for you guys. So, Simon and Garfunkel met in elementary school. They grew up in Queens, in New York. Uh, and they met in 1953. And that's also when they learned to harmonize together. And that's when they started writing material. So, uh, in 1957, under the name Tom and Jerry, when they were teenagers, they actually had their first minor success with Hey Schoolgirl. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know they had a pre... Yeah, so they, like, that's what's wild, is like, these guys have known each other since literally they were kids. Like, and I think that will also plays into that they have they had a very um, kind of tumultuous... Yeah, complicated relationship. Complicated relationship. But they've been sure. friends forever, which is wild. Um, so it's also interesting because in 1963, um, there was a growing public interest in folk music. And uh, they regrouped and signed to Columbia Records as Simon and Garfunkel in 1963. So... Their debut, Wednesday morning, 3 a.m., didn't sell very well. And they actually disbanded, and Paul Simon went to England and did some solo work at the time. So the Paul Simon songbook, which you can uh, listen to on various streaming services, um, is something he actually recorded at that time. In June 1965, he uh, did a new version of The Sound of Silence, and it became a major U.S. uh, AM radio hit. That was the electric version? The electric version. So that's the one that most people know, right? Yeah, I think that's the one that pretty much everybody knows. Uh, Garfunkel and him reunited to release a second studio album, Sounds of Silence, 
and they toured colleges nationwide, and that really got them running. Third release, what's the third release? Do you know it? Uh, it's a bunch. Of, it's a bunch. So the third release is a bunch of spices and uh, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Oh, that one! I don't even know that record at all. It's very sleepy. Came out in 1966. Uh, I know it mainly because it's one of my dad's favorite records, which I'll talk about a bit more. Interesting. Later. And so. After that record, they assumed more creative control. So they had uh, they did the soundtrack for the 1967 film The Graduate, which gave them a ton more exposure. And their last two albums, they did Bookends, which was 1968, which topped Billboard 200, and uh, that included the single Mrs. Robinson, yeah. which was from the film. Big tune. And then they had a very rocky relationship, which led to a lot of um, artistic disagreements, and they eventually broke up in 1970, which was... Also, the same year, they released their final record, which we're talking about today. Bridge Over Troubled Water. That's right, baby. Wow. Um, That's why it's so good, man. The best records are made under, like, strenuous circumstances. Do you think so? Do you think, like, the strenuous relationship, like, do you you think that conflict helps? For the Beatles, I think it worked. I guess so. I also just feel like, I guess, John Lennon and the other guy that we got on. George Harrison? Oh, I, I think him and George got along well in the end. Paul McCartney and John, yeah. No, I think there's a, one or two things that they disputed about. Being the front man for sure has some weight to it, right? I mean, for, for sure. Paul Simon has a storied career long after this record. And I mean, Garfunkel has a career, but... I mean, story? honestly, man. Oh, uh, no. And it goes to show that, like, I think it became pretty obvious, I imagine, to both of them that... Paul Simon was the songwriter of the duo. Garfunkel's a great singer, and together the voices are magical. But Garfunkel, I think, and I think wisely, I'm projecting, because I don't know the ins and outs of their dynamic, but I feel like he must have recognized Paul is the songwriter. I'm a singer as well. Like It's like like an equal thing, but he's like, Paul does... Maybe the grunt work of the song. I don't know. Like I, I imagine, like you said earlier, there is some ego there. So I imagine in his mind, he must have been like, "Well, this is both of our thing." But Paul lays the foundation. I'm sure he gave feedback. But like the songwriting credits are in Paul Simon's name for this record. Like they're yeah. not Simon and Garfunkel. It's like Paul Simon, written by Paul Simon. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, I'll have to get him on the podcast and ask him. Get Paul Simon on the podcast. I was thinking Art Garfunkel might be a bit easier. Well, they're both still alive, which is. Uh, I know. So Art Garfunkel, if you if you get if you hear this, we'd love to talk to you about what it was like. To come on, baby, just come on over. Come on, baby. So I would love to know, um, Lucas, what's your personal history with Simon and Garfunkel? Uh, it's pretty short. You know, I grew up with a dad who was into Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and. The 70s were kind of his time of uh, musical exploration and discovery. and So, Simon and Garfunkel was part of this, for sure. I'd say my biggest relationship was probably to Paul Simon's uh, Graceland. Oh, yeah. I, I experienced that record a lot. I, I, I still love that record. It's got, a, it's got a place in my canon, you know, my personal canon of... Mm-hmm great records but like Simon and Garfunkel probably the first time I noticed them and this is gonna make me sound like a nerd 
first time I went out and listened to them by choice was probably when I saw the Watchmen movie. And at the funeral of the, uh, maybe it's the... With the Zack Snyder Watchmen movie? Yeah, the, the funeral of the comedian. I think it's the comedian, right? Yeah, His I... His funeral, it's Sound of Silence. And I was like, oh man, that sounds dope. I'm, I'm speaking as I would have. That song is dope. I gotta go check it out <laughs> on YouTube. I don't know. I think like I, I probably downloaded a few of their songs on Kazaa or whatever. And and I think um, it was like Cecilia, Sound of Silence, mm-hmm. and I think maybe, and this is a big maybe, maybe uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. But I know my dad liked them. I just uh, we didn't really listen to that much growing up. So anyway, all that to say like. It's really not that existent. This this is the most I've ever delved into anything by Simon and Garfunkel. That's really that's really interesting. I, I kind of would have I just assumed I guess that you had more exposure to them growing up because you grew up in a family that listened to so much music. A lot of Bob Dylan, you know, a lot. And and my dad when I graduated high school, uh, he gave me his record player with all his records. Which now he's commandeered back, but that with his own record room, my own bedroom has been turned into a room with a record player and like a wall of records, and that's all it's for. That's sweet. I know it's pretty cool, actually. It's pretty cool. That's actually the dad. You're cool. That's the best use you could do of your son's yeah. old bedroom. Yeah, it's probably a good redemption for all that other stuff that happened in that bedroom. But the hope you clean that bedroom, Papa yeah, Lawrence. The bed's gone. So oh, okay. Uh, gross. Um, all the boogers is what we're talking about. Uh, the, the, the record collection didn't have any really Simon and Garfunkel in it. Had a lot of Bob Dylan. Had a lot of uh, Beatles and Stones and stuff and Zeppelin. So I got all that. I got it like inoculated with all that stuff. But I think he might have had one. I think he might have had bookends, but I think it even didn't work. I think it was warbled. So oh. I never really had a... What about you? That's... That's really interesting because I, it's like literally the exact opposite for me. My, so my dad was a huge music fan. Um, what up, dad? And, uh, honestly, like it was a huge passion for him. But it's funny, like my dad was, and he would never, I cop to this, but he was almost like an OG hipster in his taste where, he really like shied away from and sort of like he didn't seek out the stuff that was super popular for him. What he was really into was like second, like he was kind of into like lesser known folk artists. Like he loved this guy, Dan Fogelberg. Um, Jesse Colin Young was a big one for him. I have a couple of his records from that. He loved the Mamas and the Papas. Um, There's a band from I think California called We Five who had a, I think I'm saying, I think it's We Five. Um, but I have um, a bunch of my dad's records. And the one band he loved that was really well known was Simon and Garfunkel. So he he didn't have... I never grew up listening to the Beatles. I never listened to the Stones or Zeppelin or any of that stuff. For, for our household growing up, um, the most popular band I listened to as a kid was Simon and Garfunkel. And I remember... Wow, so we're really, we're really in your, uh, your territory. Right? Yeah, and that was part of the reason I picked it because... Simon and Garfunkel has like a resonance with 
my childhood in part because my my parents loved it so much. My mom lived Simon and Garfunkel as well, but it was especially like my dad's. He's always had a passion for music, and even when we were little, like he had, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but my dad invested in like a good CD player and he had a good record player. Oh, and same like, here, dude. Yeah, you know, we, we had one of those CD players. It was like a a cartridge. So you you took this like cartridge that had like eight drawers in it. And you put eight CDs in the drawers, and you put them all into the cartridge, and the cartridge went into the CD player, and then you'd push one to eight, like what CD you wanted to listen to, and it would take the... It would just slot them in. Each cost of cartridge was like a VHS, right? So it'd be labeled like Led Zeppelin 1 to 4, California Regions Christmas album. Isn't it funny thinking about that? Like My, my dad had uh, like the dual tape deck, so he would make mixtapes for friends. And I remember it was because there was a point where he recorded a bunch of his records to tape. And there was a CD player as well. There was. The OG Napster. He, uh, he took a lot of pride in it. And it was really fun because for a long time when I was little in Broadview, we had the records at the bottom of this like um, stereo stack that he had. So it was like the records were at the bottom. And then it was like the tape deck, the receiver, the record player, and then... Um, so the, I think the CD player was up top, but it was like, it was just really cool. Like he really loved music, but seven and Garfunkel, I remember being put on when I was little, like me and my brother shared a bedroom and I remember listening to a tape of their music when we were kids, like maybe seven or six, like cool. listening to the sounds of silence going to sleep. And, uh, hello darkness, my old friend. I didn't get it. You know, it was just like, it just sounded soothing. Yeah, like it's, it's the sound of soup. So for this podcast, I texted my dad and my mom, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" So I was like, "Hey, Dad, um, what was it that made you love Simon and Garfunkel so much?" And so he texted me this. He's like, "My initial thoughts: their harmony, lyrics, poetic, heartfelt, meaningful, reminds us older folks of a less busy time of our lives. They were popular, but not trendy. No one was stupid about them. Not like the Beatles, Rolling Stones, or the Grateful Dead." I thought I thought an interesting <laughs> mix oh, of that. Yeah, that's very it's very insightful, Dad. And the last thing he said was, "Their songs touch the heart, not merely pleasant to the ear," which I thought was very sweet. Like my chemical romance. Exactly. Um, my mom also said that she really loved them and that they reminded them of uh, a time in her life when things were simple. And I thought that was interesting. They both independently said that that it was like this music takes me back to a time when like really takes them back to a time when they were young and it's like they didn't have the complications of like they're both on the verge of retiring right now and there's a lot they're thinking about in the next phase of your life and it's like you put on you know bookends or bridge over troubled water and it's like it takes you back to 1970 yeah like for us it will be my chemical romance it yeah which is I don't know why I said that twice no I totally get it like music has this power too it's like an audio perfume or when you hear it, you're transported back to this moment, right? Mm-hmm. The good music, anyway. The good music can do that. Like, it can really like put you there, and you're like, oh yeah, things were different, and things were good, and things were uh, crazy, or uh, you know, it, it just it, it is a weird way of doing that. Like when we spoke about the John Mayer album, yeah, we both had such unique experiences. But I could really, I really felt like I was with you, and I really felt like I was back where I was too. 
Yeah, and if you haven't listened to that episode and you want to go back, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of people ask me, why did you start this podcast with John Mayer? Like, just why? And I'm like, honestly, it had far less to do with John Mayer, who we both feel is uh, a bit of a, a douche canoe. Yeah, we're both whatever about him. But it's more the fact that, like, that record came out at a very, like, impactful time in our lives, and it gave us an avenue to share a lot of, like, personal stories about Well, and also it's that we scrapped our first Radiohead episode. And that's yeah, that's true. When we were working out the, the kinks of how we wanted to uh, the radio have this podcast work. But we're doing Radiohead soon. We are. With a guest. Yeah, and it's uh, that may even be our next episode. Stay tuned. Maybe. So um, so I asked my parents what their favorite Simon and Garfunkel mm-hmm. records were. So my dad said, bookends or Rosemary Sage, uh, Rosemary or Time, uh, which is not quite their correct title, but you know, it's that record or... Uh, and my mom said Bridge Over Troubled Water was her favorite. Oh, so this is, um, what's your mom's name? Chris. Christine. Christine Judy's favorite record. Bridge Over now, Troubled Water. One thing I wanted to say about this record is do you know how at a funeral, at a funeral, uh, and, and no disrespect to that person, but sometimes they get that like treatment where they're like, Carl was such a good guy and Carl this and Carl that this and you're so funny and, you're so, and it's like at the end of the funeral you're like at the end of the funeral you're like this guy sounds perfect you know what I mean not a false note no like it just sounds like at the end of this like funeral service we're all talking about how we remember this man or, or woman and it's like he has no faults and I sort of feel like older albums, very popular old albums, get the funeral treatment. Uh, like, interesting. When my parents or your parents or people look back at this record, they say, "What now? What, a, what an amazing!" When that album came out, you know, there's a guy at my work. He's 60 years old, and I asked him about this record. He's like, "Well, when that album came out, everyone lost their minds. It's perfect. Every song's good. Everything's perfect about it." And I'm like. Call me uh, young, call me a millennial, but I don't think it's perfect. It's not perfect, and we're going to get into why we think that. But before we do, but it's trivia time, bud. Trivia. So, Lucas, this is a uh, little surprise I cooked up for you. Uh oh. (laughs) So uh, I've put together a few trivia questions about Simon and Garfunkel. And we're going to see how you do, all right? I'm probably going to do horribly. Question number one. Paul Simon's first solo recording after Bridge Over Troubled Water was called Paul Simon. True or false? I think it's true. You are correct. It Um, is true. I know he's got a record called Paul Simon. It is the cover where he's wearing the parka that has a huge fur on it. Yes, that's quite the photo. Also, I want to say all their albums great like, photos yeah hairdos and turtlenecks a lot of turtleneck a lot of turtlenecks yeah. no they really they love to turtleneck alright right. oh thank god I got that one right question two what was Art, Garf- Art Garfunkel's first solo album called am I supposed to say it I mean if you know it uh, I'm gonna make a guess here uh, Funkin' Art <laughs> Funkin' Art Funkin' Art oh Funkin' Art okay 
Uh, that is incorrect. Yeah. It is called Angel Claire. Yeah, if you gave me a hundred guesses, I would not have gotten that. I, I looked at his uh, Spotify profile, but I did not listen. I have to show you what it looks like because... That is so funny. Angel Claire. It should be called Funkin' Art. Like, look or at... This th- is Funkin' Art. Like, take a time. Like, take a minute and go Google, like, the cover. But that is uh, that is a cover. Just, like, it looks like a bad high school photo of... Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Okay, wow. question three: Angel Claire is named for which Thomas Hardy novel? Is it A. Far from the Maddening Crowd, eighteen seventy four; The Return of the Native, eighteen seventy eight; Tess of the D'Urbervilles. I don't say that right. A Pure Woman Faithfully Presented, eighteen ninety one; or Jude the Obscure, A, B, C, or D. I'm going to just say C because it had the word woman in it. <sighs> Buddy, you're correct. Yeah. <laughs> that is. That is right. Well, that is the answer. It is Tess of the Doobles. That is the, uh, that is in fact the name from which Angel Claire comes from, which I did not think you were going to get. That's very impressive. I am honored to have gotten that one right. Just so everyone knows, I've never read that book. I haven't read the book. Probably won't. It's okay. Question four. Simon and Garfunkel had minor success with... Hey, schoolgirl, when they were Tom and Jerry in high school. That's not a question, that's a statement. No, the question continues. (laughs) Name the band that popularized the song Hey, Schoolgirl. Hint. Got a hint for you here. It's the band who wrote Bye Bye Love, the cover song. The Everly Brothers. That is correct. The only reason I know that is because I know the Everly Brothers wrote Bye Bye Love because I Googled it. Attaboy. Doing research, getting prepared. Uh, also, the band that so inspired they, they, they them they to each other. Well, the Everly Brothers actually inspired uh, Simon and Garfunkel to start harmonizing in high school. Um, and then they covered their song. So the Everly Brothers, I didn't know this, but the Everly Brothers have covered Simon and Garfunkel. That is the norm. Well, no, they have. Well, Hey Schoolgirl. No, but Simon and Garfunkel covered that. Oh, I'm dumb. Okay, so Simon and Garfunkel. So that was the first. Hey Schoolgirl, which is by the Everly Brothers. Yes, so Hey Schoolgirl was uh, a song that Simon and Garfunkel covered as Tom and Jerry in high school, and it was their first kind of minor success. Were they named after the cat and mouse from. uh, Warner Brothers? Yeah. Yes. I I was going to say Disney, but I knew that was wrong. It's close enough. Um, Question five So long, Frank Lloyd Wright was written to foreshadow Simon and Garfunkel's impending breakup without Garfunkel's knowledge. True or false? It sounds true, now that you say it. it. sounds very true. The answer is true. Well, I know that Garfunkel had asked Simon, you should write a song about Frank Lloyd Wright, because I really like Frank Lloyd Wright. That's, I know, one of the histories of that song. And, so that, that is very true. And also, So Long Frank Lloyd Wright is, on its surface, it is about the architect. But, but he talks about harmonizing, which you don't do with architects. It's true, and it is a song to art. Who also, in an interview I read, said that he didn't know that song was about him for years. And he actually felt quite um, cuckolded by it. Um, oh, it's very cuckolding. So he also said, because, I mean, it, it seems kind of obvious, like when you read the lyrics about how it's about, um, 
you know, them harmonizing into the night. And also, Garfunkel studied architecture. That was also... Oh, so that makes sense. If you're singing to Frank Lloyd Wright, you're singing to Art Garfunkel. Um, Everyone, if you ever sing towards Frank Lloyd Wright, you're actually singing towards Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel also said, though, that the song was such a fun and beautiful song to sing. He's like, end of the day, he was like, you know... I don't mind that the song's about me because he's like it's yeah, so good no, to sing. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a very good song. I was that was a surprise for me though. One of the surprises on the album. That was for me too. That's a song that I. It's one of my new favorites. Yeah, I knew of it, but I was like, man, this song is. This song could come on now and I'd be into it. We got one more. One oh, more trivia question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Question six. Oh no. Here we go. Simon and Garfunkel originally wanted to call the record, a, like a pitcher of water. B, volume four, songs in the key of love and hate. C, stick it in my bum bum. <laughs> <laughs> or D, none of the above. <laughs> okay, stick it in my bum bum, definitely no. That's probably D. Is it D? It's D, yeah. Yes! Yeah, A... Like a pitcher of water was what uh, the first sound engineer mistakenly titled the tape when they told him what the album was oh, really? called. Wow, this is he wrote like, like a pitcher of water <laughs> instead of bridge over troubled water, which I thought was hilarious. And then option B, volume four songs in the key of love and hate is a puddle of mud record. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, is there a difference between puddle of mud and Simon and Garfunkel? Really? I mean, you tell me. You tell me. <laughs> Dude. That was amazing. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you. Um, you really set the bar for what I have to come up with next time. And I'm excited for what you spring on me. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Imagine if I guessed the Puddle of Mud record. I was like, will he know? Because I picked like the fourth Puddle almost, of Mud record. I almost did. <laughs> I almost chose that. Because it kind of, like it's not quite right. Because it, I think. But like back then that would have been kind of cool to say. Now you say it, you would be like, okay, go. Oh, Get man. Get over yourself. So uh, that was fun, dude. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Kale's questions. Yeah, trivia time, bud. Okay, so for our next um, segment, uh, we're trying out something new—a recommendation from our friend Matthew Walco, who will be a, a guest soon. This is musical treats. So this is where we talk about. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about lyrics, and um, now is where we're going to talk about some of the music treats that are on this record. So Lucas, what's a music treat? From Bridge Over Troubled Water. For okay, you. well, this record is very interesting because while it's a folk record, it also is, it's coming out during a time of big production value. Meaning, you know, producing music that would be a little more difficult to produce live. So what you put in the studio, you know, you're not going to necessarily have an orchestra or a horn section with you live. Um, a few of the treats I'd say is that the album starts off with quite the song um bridge over troubled water has uh, an epic uh, orchestra part you know really almost cinematic to the point that the song almost gets in my opinion too far into like intensity do you think it goes too far on the it almost comes across as like a james bond opening you know those james bond songs interesting yeah i can see that um a few of the other musical treats, uh, just of note, in the song, if I could, the uh, the, the flute parts, t- 
to the Russian waltz vibe. It's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, another one I wrote down is Cecilia, the um, that the uh, delayed clap beat. Oh yeah. Probably blew people's minds at the time. I mean, now obviously you can just like open your app on GarageBand and just start clapping and put delay on it. It's no big deal. But back then, that would have been a bit of a, a feat to perform. Um, I actually had one written down for show. There's one I... Uh... Oh, the jazz flute solo in, in uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. The and jazz flute solo. It's, well, it's just a flute, but it's jazzy. And it's just... The flute in Frank Lloyd Wright is just... It, it transports the song. It makes the song from like a, a good song to a great song, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And it just really transports you to a different place. You know, it's, it's cool. What's your musical treat? I'm just going to call it one. I think you had a... This is one I really wanted to let you run with. There's only one that I really wanted to call out. Um, and it was one I uh, found a little tidbit about. So, uh, one of my favorite songs is The Only Living Boy in New York. Oh, great tune. And in that song, we hear the... Ah, 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 like that, where like hear the ahs in the background. They Isn't use twelve, yeah, very reverby. They use twelve to fifteen voices for that. Oh, cool. Um, he also said so. Garfunkel is quoted as saying, "He proposed those lines and said it's us around eight times screaming, and we mixed it down very softly. I started getting into open mouth harmony in a very loud, strident way. We were screaming at the top of our lungs, and inside an echo chamber. I remember that day that Dylan dropped by to visit. We came out of the booth after all the screaming, and there he was, which is." Kind of a cool little detail. But I really love that. Like, that is just like a very special thing to me about the song. We like hear the, like, the ah. Like, that 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 part. part, That part to me feels very Beatles. Yes. Very, like, Sgt. Pepper's on. So, those are our treats. I think some really tasty treats to be had in this room. Yeah, and I think, like, musically, they do a lot. Like, the piano playing is rich, the guitar Mm -hmm. playing is rich. Uh, the production value is rich. Like, there's a lot of interesting choices made on this record, and it's not, um, it's not like hyper unique for the time, but it it's definitely on pushing pushing the boundaries a bit. I agree. Which is cool for such a successful record to to have some experimentation to it. Bridge Over Troubled Water had over a hundred hours put into it in the wow. recording floor. I'm not surprised. That was one that apparently, like some of the songs on this, they had a really tough time with, and that was one that it is wild to know that much time went into it and it came out the way it did because that's so much time to invest in a song. You imagine it could feel pretty belabored, but it, like it feels like it's rich, and like you said, maybe veers into like maybe James Bond territory, but it's like such a powerful opener, I think, to the record. It's like quite, it's quite something.
There's no song like that song, man. It's it kind of has a opening like almost like a hymn vibe to it. And I, I know the song. You know the song by Osmosis of Culture. Mm-hmm. But I did not know the song was so epic. Bridge Over Travel Blog. Mm-hmm. It's very epic. It's a very epic song. Yeah. Um, speaking of songs, uh, maybe it's time we go into uh, our Hero and Zeros of the yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you want me to go first? Yeah, why don't you go first? Okay. Well, what's your What's your hero song? Well, I had a tough time choosing a hero. Um, I wanted it to be Baby Driver because that song was a huge surprise for me. Like, I knew it, I, when the movie came out, I knew that it was a Simon and Garfunkel song. When I listened to it, I kept being like, man, this song, this song, like, really it bops and it really... It's got really fun lyrics, really fun production, and uh, kind of feels like almost white album Beatles for me. But interesting comparison. The one, the one that really got me, man. I have to say, the boxer. I love the boxer. That's a song I'm, I don't think I'll ever get tired of. Lyrically, musically, I love it. The boxer. Strangers in the quiet of the railway station, let them Seeking out the poor quarters where the ragged people go, looking for the places only they would know. One of my least favorite moments in the boxer is the big horn section that comes in. It feels a bit goofy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But lyrically, you know, that chorus with the lila eyes and that. That big crack and snare. Yeah. If you want to talk about musical treats, there's a treat. That big reverby snare. Yeah. I love it. It does sound really great. Um, yeah, so uh, I think the boxer is my hero. You know, I just, I think like, I didn't want it to be that, but it just, I kept returning and I kept being like, that's my favorite song on the record. That's so interesting to me because I, I don't know what it is, but the boxer is a song I really do enjoy. But it's a song I feel like if there's one Simon and Garfunkel, like one SNG Simon and Garfunkel song I've gotten tired of, it's it's the boxer. I feel like I feel like it's one I don't know exactly what it is. Like um, like it's a beautiful song. It opens up side two of the LP. Um, and and it opens up side two of my heart. It's true. You know, I, it it is a great song. I'm not, I don't want to disparage it at all. It's just out of the various songs on the record, it's one where I'm like, I always enjoy it when it comes on. And it's obviously, it was a massive single for them. It was one of their biggest singles of all time. But uh, So I'm just a basic bitch, is what you're saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go order your Starbucks. Oh, pumpkin spice can't wait October. Yeah, go put on your Uggs. Oh, yeah, got them. I'm Get a blowout. Yeah. You know? My nails do. Go listen to the radio. I'm going to get a tattoo above my butt crack. Yeah, get some cherries above that butt crack. Yeah, no, it's going to be like a tribal thing. <laughs> <laughs> Where the sun sets. <laughs> Like, like something from a drum circle, like from yeah. from your Sunday drum circle yeah, session. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, that's you great. know me so well. Um, I'm not associating your hero song with uh, a butt crack drum circle. 
Just so you know. Thank you. I I what's really your, what's your hero? I really do love I really do love the boxer, but uh, I just found. Oh, when we get to Covenant Smother, there's a very good Covenant. Yes. Song. So I'm I'm curious here about that. So my hero song um, is a song that means a great deal to me and has stood out to me for a long time. But my hero song is the only living boy in New York. That song's great. That song was a big surprise for me. So were you familiar with that song before the uh, record? Again, I knew the name because of the movie, which is weird. Like, that's two movies that are named after Simon and Garfunkel. That's right. There is a movie called The Only I've movie never one. seen it, uh, and I've never seen Baby Driver either, so I should just shut up. But I knew it was a Simon and Garfunkel song, but I would say this was a big surprise for me because um, it's got a Beatles vibe to it, but it's also, it's very... It feels very original. Like, I don't really... It doesn't... It just feels like a Simon and Garfunkel song only. And I like that about it. So, that's cool, man. I, I, I really I really like that song. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. Like, I feel like... So, uh, like the opening line now may have more resonance for you. It's like, Tom, catch your plane right on time. I know you're gonna do fine. It's uh, so the Tom reference is uh, a reference to Garfunkel. So as one of the few songs in this record that starts to kind of talk about the sort of the end of them as a duo. Oh, that's but uh, so what was going on at that time is Art was exploring a career in acting, and he decided to he took a part in the film adaptation of Catch Twenty Two, so he was flying south to. Uh, partake in filming that and Paul Simon was a, apparently had a part in that movie and it got cut um, and so he is the whole song is about him just being like alone in New York while Art is down in um, the South South America like filming this movie interesting and it has a bit of an emo vibe the line the only living boy in New York yeah it, I think part of it might be that it has a resonance with the Smith song the Boy with a Thorn in His Side, which was also the name of a book that P. Wentz wrote from Fall Out Boy. Wow. Which I owned for a while, which I think I sold, but I can't imagine there's that many copies, which I imagine that book probably has to be worth something. But he also did that book in the exact same style as uh, The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy and Other Stories by Tim Burton, which is so funny to me because obviously P. Wentz would know that book and they'd be like, I want to make my book exactly like Tim Burton's book. I want to read Tim Burton's book. I don't necessarily want to read Pete Wentz's book. Pete Wentz's book wasn't very good. Well, Pete Wentz, no offense. Do you think that's my new album name? Pete Wentz, no offense. Pete Wentz, no offense? Your music is fine, but your writing I don't care to read. Your music's fine, but your writing not to buy. Ooh. <laughs> nice. You know, so... You can have that one. So yeah. that's your that's your hero. Interesting. It's my hero. You know, that's in yeah. It's probably one of my favorite songs on the record. It's, it's also it's so good. It's such a beautiful song. 
Also, uh, Lauren and I, my fiance, we were at her parents' cabin in uh, July, and we both had like uh, a Scooby snack, got a little high on mushrooms, and we listened to this record. <laughs> and that song, we probably talked about this song for like forty minutes, and it's like it's like one of our songs now. You know, I feel so. like we should get her down here. <laughs> well, she, she's yeah, got work to do. Yeah, no, that's all good. I, I, I don't think we should, but I do want her to be our guest. She, she has, and Rina too. She's Rina. told me no a few times, but uh, I think we'll, we might be one able to talk her into it. One day we'll get her. Once we have some form of success, I think she'll. she'll be so keep telling it. your friends. To Subscribe, listen. like. Sponsored by Squarespace, guys. Make your dreams a reality with Squarespace. Uh, Casper. Casper mattresses. Not just the son of Lucas, but also a great mattress. Um, so. Warby Parker. <laughs> So, Lucas, what's your zero of this record? Okay, I had a hard time with this, too. Because as much as I love this record, and I, and I see it as a, a opus, a magnum opus, of just amazing songs, I had a really hard time with two songs. Interesting. One song is Why Don't You Write Me. Because uh-huh. white boy reggae is one of my least favorite genres. But you also love Graceland. Yes, but that's different. That's like African. And, and, and he actually has the local people sing on it, you know? Also, that one has some cheesiness you just have to overlook. But it's really hard. Like, I. My times between Why Don't You Write Me? Because I think it's a bit goofy. Mm-hmm. I. I I do agree with the song. It's nice to get mail. It feels good to get mail. So you know what that song's about? It's I about think him. it's going to get no? no? It's about him and his wife getting separated in the jungle when they were on like a hike or something together. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So that is the inspiration for that Okay, song. so again, low stakes. It feels low stakes, you know? Yeah. But I would say at the end of this, listening to this album a bunch, I keep the customer satisfied. I just could not, I cannot get into that. I understand. It? Really? It's, it's it's too cheesy, man. It's too cheesy for me. Now, I will say, like, the modern day version of this song is, I think, Taylor Swift, you need to calm down. Where it's like telling the audience just to stop. Just stop uh, criticizing me. Okay. Just stop. Like, it feels like he's saying, like, I can't do anything right, and I'm trying to keep the customer satisfied. And I feel like the fan is the customer. But... It's not the lyrics, lyrical content. It's I just the, the horn section, the song. I just oh, I could barely get through it every time. That's so interesting. And that's knowing that would you why don't you write me is like a white boy reggae song in the vein of Three Eleven and uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, what's, uh, uh, what's the other white boy reggae band? Uh, Three Eleven and um, uh, who Three Eleven Thousand Foot Crutch. No, the Christian. <laughs> No, 311 wanted to be um, Sublime. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Sublime. So, wait, so if you... So, what's your zero? Which one is it, then? It's keep the customer satisfied. I'm so, sorry. I'm, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, but it's keep... It's too much for me. Keep it's the like customer satisfied. It's a bad ELO song. Uh, it's like, uh, I have words I never heard in the Bible. Like, that is such a great line. Yeah, that, to that, that's a good line. Words I never heard in the Bible. That is a so good like honestly, Again, so that's kind I think of, that's, that's a fun kind of, song. I think it's a fun T-Swift, song. You know, Taylor Swift complaining about her fans just cussing her out, like, you yeah. know, at seven a.m. Uh, what is that thing she says? 
You are somebody that I don't know, but you're taking shots at me like it's Patron. And I'm just like, damn, it's 7 a.m. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's like, you're just saying like... I don't know that song. How do you not know? I don't know Taylor Swift. Well, my, but three, I, my Navy, my three-year-old, she loves, as in her words, Taylor Schleft. Well, I'm glad that, I mean, this is that's definitely going to resonate with a segment of the, the listening audience. Just... Uh, it's it's interesting. I guess it's like I totally hear where you're coming from, but I keep the customer satisfied. Was like one of the surprise songs for me because I I just found that I really enjoyed that song when it came on. If that song came live, if it came on live, that'd be my smoke break. I'd be like I, I'm taking up smoking again just to get away from the song. Interesting. Or bathroom break, maybe even more insulting. So what's your zero? So my zero of the album is uh, from side B. The the LP. Um, so mine is the Bye Bye Love cover. That's my zero song. Oh, that was my number two. I just feel like... Or number three, sorry. It's also interesting because I listened to the song... It well, does not fit the album. I listened to it on Spotify, and I also listened to it on... Uh, I have my dad's uh, LP of uh, the record. So it's got... He wrote his name inside the sleeve, which I showed you uh, earlier. Yeah. And it's so sweet, and I'm awesome. so stoked that I own that specific record. But it's interesting because the Bye Bye Love cover that's on the LP is different than the one that's on Spotify. And that is something you told me is because Simon and Garfunkel weren't happy with the the recording that went on the LP. Well, so they when they the, the, released the, the, the it... The audience clapping was important to them. So it, what's funny is that the one they released on the one that's on Spotify is a recording from a show they did in Vermont. And the one on the LP, the original LP, is I think from maybe somewhere in New York. Um, but yeah, they weren't as happy with the clapping. So apparently the clapping on the Spotify one's a bit better. But both of them, I actually think the one on the record, to me, my ear sounds better. It sounds a little more in line with the record. But uh, I just found that song every time it came on, it was just a little... It's jarring. It just felt like a throwaway song. Like I was it just, just like... Doesn't, it's like in the middle of a movie having a scene that's done in cartoon. Exactly. It just didn't make sense to me. It felt very out. Uh, you know what, actually? You might have convinced me. I might change my zero. <laughs> It's uh, that 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 honestly felt so strange. When the first time I listened, I thought like, "Oh, am I listening to the uh, like a special edition or like the um, the reissue of the album that has like a bonus?" It feels like a bonus song. It must have been like special for them. I would say that like what's interesting to me is that the one thing I do like about it is like, I'm not saying it's a bad song. Like, I think the whole record is is very solid throughout, but it just felt like oh, it yeah, felt like a slight song. Like it just felt like. I don't necessarily understand why you went with this, but what I do like about it is that it kind of brings the whole band full circle. So Paul Simon, even more so than Garfunkel knew, um, although they both had more awareness this was their last record. So it feels very appropriate. They would have a cover song of the Everly Brothers, who were the original band that made them start harmonizing and do music when they were Tom and Jerry. So as that you actually know, feels as you know, full the, circle. That's interesting. Yeah, and from the trivia, as you know, I know that. So, <laughs> it's it's true. No, that's really interesting. I never thought of how it's like it's a full circle. Um, so speak, full circle, so, baby. So speaking of full circle, let's move to our next segment. Let's move over to covered and smothered. So, what, uh, Lucas? Tell me about some notable cover songs from this record that you've come across. Okay, uh, I have this written down somewhere. So. You know, I actually only have two covers that I want that are mentionable. For yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
before I even knew Cecilia, the song by them. Oh, Cecilia. Which is a song I will never get tired of. I think that song is so fun. It's, You're breaking my heart. Shaking my confidence. Baby. Oh, we did different words. We did the different words. It's fine. That's okay, but we harmonized. We did. Um, poorly, sorry. Um, I think Cecilia is a great song. It's one of those songs where you're like, I just wish I wrote it. I, I think every musician just wishes it was there. That's an amazing song. It's so great. And uh, I actually became aware of that song first. I mean, I, I knew it, but the, the song that got me into it, the version was Jeremy Fisher's version. Canadian musician. Jeremy Fisher? I don't know who that is. Yeah, he's got a... He, he had a song called Cigarette. I'll be... Cigarette. Oh, I've heard that song. Yeah, yeah, so yeah it was yeah. his cover that got me into it first. We'll put that on the playlist of notable songs. Yeah, I'm gonna do it right now because I keep forgetting to add the ones. And then the 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 real one that I have to say that I think ooh, controversial to say, but um, maybe even better is the Mumford and Sons. I'm not a big fan of Mumford and Sons. I like Mumford and Sons, but. I got sick of them fast, but their cover of The Boxer is incredible. And I feel like is a better version because it doesn't have those funny horns. And again, that was my hero, so I, I love the Mumford & Sons cover of... Uh, is that Mumford & Sons cover like in the coveralls phase, or is that in like the post-rock phase? No, it's, it's, it's off their third album, I think. It's off their second or third album. It's really good. It's okay. a great cover. Um, I'm gonna have to check that out. Thank you. Okay, what's your uh, what's your cover of smothered? What do you got smothered? I got a couple smothered uh, songs. So there were two that I wanted to call out. So uh, for the soul fans out there, um, Aretha Franklin does a great version of "Bridge Over Troubled Water." Um, I mean, obviously, like you hand anything to Aretha, she's likely to improve on it. Um, yeah, that's a good point. The uh, Queen of Soul, if you will. So she recorded a cover of the title track um, just a one year after it was released, and she did a very it was very gospel influenced, um, and it was so good it showed up on a greatest hits release that same year in nineteen seventy one. So she just fucking nails this song. It's uh, it's quite something. Other one I wanted to call out is that uh, Amy Lou Harris does a really cool version of the Boxer um, from her 1980 LP "Roses in the Snow," which I had on tape that I bought in Seattle, and the tape didn't work, and I was bummed. So uh, I have to say, your covers are a lot cooler than mine. I mean, uh, well, I'm I'm not gonna say either way. We both have covers. That's the whole point. It's it's not being better than the other. But those are two I wanted to call out. So Amy Lou Harris in 1980. Um, and Aretha Franklin, which I think is fun. Cool. Okay, my worst lyrics. Do you want to start with worse? I think worse is more fun. <laughs> okay. Is from Bridge Over Troubled Water. Do you have worse lyrics? So I, I do have first and worst picked out. Okay. Um, so yeah, I do. Let's want do them. quick, okay. Let's do quick. 
Here's my worst lyrics. Okay. Because I think they're so cheesy that I could literally see them on a plaque in the bathroom of my parents' house. That's saying so. Sail on, silver girl, sail on by. Your time has come to shine. All your dreams are on their way. Something nice to look at while you're taking a dump. <laughs> What's your worst? So, um, I, I cheated a little bit where um, I didn't end up finding a worse lyrics. I couldn't really find any I thought were the worst because one of the... That was me stretching to find the worst. One of the beauty elements of Paul Simon is that even in his best songs, like when I looked at the lyrics for The Only Living Boy in New York, they're actually pretty simple. Yeah, it's like... He's very simple, man. He's, he's a great lyricist. And, lyricist. and when you listen to the song, you're like, it feels so much more impactful than it is. Um, I mean, it is very impactful, but it, like you feel like the lyrics are more in-depth and entwined, and you read the lyrics, and you're like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty straightforward. But what I thought was really interesting... So instead of what I'm opting for in this episode is not worst but most controversial. Mm. So in the song Cecilia, the lyric "Making Love in the Afternoon" was among Paul Simon's most explicit lyrics at the time. Well, I'm not talking about your your ponytails, but talking about your sex appeal. So Paul Simon states in the 2011 documentary "The Harmony Game" that during the song's initial success, uh, he came upon a recently returned Vietnam War veteran. And the man told Paul Simon that soldiers heard the song Cecilia and found it a sign of the country's changing wars. So they basically, when they were in Vietnam, they're like making love in the afternoon in my bedroom. And they were like, boys, things have changed in America. You know, what are we fighting for? If these guys are just banging in the middle of the afternoon, what are we doing over here? We're fighting you know? war. They're at home having sex during the day. So I found. Shouldn't they be working the textile factory? <laughs> they should be working on a factory. Isn't this a Springsteen song? God damn it! Honestly, I wrote down that um, that I thought uh, baby drives a baby. No, sorry, I gotta write down my note here. Uh, um, baby driver. It's about cars and sex. That it's about sex, and baby. And it's got saxophone. That's uh, a Springsteen vibe for sure. Big time. For sure. Big time. And that's why I think, Dad, if you're listening still, like, listen to some more Springsteen. You know? Like, it's more in line with Paul Simon than you might Heck, think. Dad, if you're listening, listen to more Springsteen, too. Yeah, Dad. Why not? Yeah. Lucas's dad. So, um, John. I'll tell you my favorite lyric. Yeah. So, you're going to enjoy this, too, because uh, for the shade I threw ever so slightly at the boxer before, my favorite lyric is from the boxer. Mine, too. So, my favorite lyric is, I'm just a poor boy. Though my story seldom told, I have squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles. Such a promises, all lies and jest. Still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. I think that opening stanza, beautiful. Oh, it's poetry. Uh, mine from the boxers. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade. And he carries the reminders of every club that laid him down or cut him till he cried out. In his anger and his shame, I am leaving, I am leaving, but the fighter still remains. Beautiful. I think it's honestly it feels like a poem that got put to music. I just I love the lyrics of that song. And I know that, you know, songs are more than lyrics, but I know. I love those lyrics. He really knew what he was doing, mm. you know. You can cut that whole section out if you want, I don't care. No no, I think that section's great. I'd like to um, keep it. I'm glad I'm glad we did that. Uh, so Lucas, any final thoughts on Bridge Over Troubled Water? My final thoughts on this record would just be that 
I'm so impressed that two people can make an album full of so much good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Do I do I love it in a sense that I'm going to listen to it a lot? Probably not, because by the time I was, you know, conscious, this album was over, or already overplayed for me. By the collective pop culture, it just I knew it too well, but I was very surprised as I delved into this that it had so much depth to it for one but two that it just it still feels relevant the songs still feel relevant mm-hmm. nothing it doesn't feel like some Stones records or Bob Dylan records where I feel like oh man these songs are old it feels good it still feels great and and I got, I got a lot of respect for them as songwriters it's very of the time and it's very of the time but it, it, it does transcend the time it does transcend the time, which I would uh, I would agree. And it's interesting to hear you say that compared to growing up listening to Bob Dylan and the Stones, where I feel like those are transcendent records, but those are all records that came to in my 20s. So I never had any exposure to them growing up. And I do really wonder if my dad was a big Bob Dylan fan or a Stones fan, how that would have changed my engagement with those bands. Because I, in, in a weird way, I feel like even the Stones, it's like that band feels so much more dangerous to me because it was never something that was allowed in our household. Versus like, if you're listening to like, you know, Excel on Main Street when you're seven, it's like maybe it still is cool, but like maybe it has a little bit less bite because it's a part of your childhood. I don't know. But uh, I would say for me, like the my closing thoughts on this record are, I think this is a beautiful way for this band to go out. Like they had Bookends, which was incredible. Such a great example of their... Um, them fully exercising their creative control and really a great example of the band where you're like you let them have creative control and they make something quite incredible um, like America yeah. is probably in my top 20 all time favorite songs I would say like uh, in no small part because of its prominence in um, Almost Famous but also because I think that song just makes me feel things every time I hear it and um, and I really love Bridge Over Troubled Water as a whole because I feel like there were some new discoveries here it has my all time favorite Simon Garfunkel song in The Only Living Boy but it's uh, it's a very special record because I think like you spend so much time and effort creating something like this and it feels like they put a ton of effort in you can really tell this is something that meant a lot to them and it like and people responded like this was the seminal record of the 1960s like people were like this was the record that capped the 1960s for a lot of people, and uh, it's kind of it's kind of wild. Like I'm surprised that even today, it's like even my mom's like, "This is my favorite record from this era." Yeah, I mean, it's a great record. It's cool. There's no disputing. It's a great record, um, Lucas. So, uh, what you vibing? Okay, so I'm usually vibing music, but tonight I'm vibing. Uh, it's funny you mentioned it because. You mentioned Almost Famous. Yeah. Which I had planned on coming with this. There's a podcast called Origins with James Andrew Miller. And I don't know how he did it, but for his third season, he's doing Almost Famous 20 years. Because it's been 20 years since Almost Famous came out. And he's got the entire cast. It's incredible. They talk about the casting, the writing, the producing, the filming, 
All of it. Wow. And if you are a fan of that movie, even if you just liked it a little bit, this podcast is amazing. It makes the movie 20 times better. It's so good. It's you got to text me that. This yeah, I will, I will. It's all, it, he did like one on Sex and the City and one on something else. But this season, I I never listened to this. I never listened to the Sex and the City season, just so you know. I don't care about that show. It's fine if you did. You know, I've fine. watched all of Sex and the City, but that was because of her past girlfriend, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, big fan. But I, um, I love it. It, it. it brings so much uh, of what is great about Almost Famous. It's great because it's because they put so much heart and, and, and soul and effort into it. And like Kate Hudson is, is in it and she's so great and Zoe Deschanel, it's, it's great. So Origins is the podcast and uh, the, the season I think is season three and it's all about uh, Almost Famous. That's what I am vibing. Kale, what are you currently vibing? <laughs> I burped when I said the first one. What are you currently vibing? What are you what are you grant vibing? What are you vibing, Kale? So uh what I'm vibing, Lucas, is uh Tom Waits bootlegs. Oh that's what I'm vibing right now. So I uh I got on a little rabbit trail recently where um I went and tried to start uh I, w- I went to try and uncover some good Tom Waits bootlegs and in the nineties uh, he recorded, um, if you might remember this from the early 2000s, he had a dual album release where it was like Alice and Blood Money, or two records that came out at the exact same time. Yeah. I want to say like 2002, 2003. So when he was working on the demos for Alice, someone stole those demos out of his car. Like he had a CD of the demos. and someone what? So someone stole the demos for Alice, the record, out of Tom White's car. And they got leaked online, and they've been bootlegged a bunch of times. And I found the demos today, and I've been oh, listening cool. to them, and they're incredible. It's like oh, basically, send them, send them over. I will send them to you. So they're basically, and I like Alice the record, but it's a little hard to get into because it was also a play he was working on, where it was a, uh, I forget the name. It was the guy he did the Black Rider with, and um, some other uh, plays as well. But it was uh, the the record that you hear of Alice is cool. But there are some songs that are a little harder to get into, and the demos are all just Tom at a piano or a guitar. It's like they're very stripped down and simple, and they're really cool, man. Like they're very raw, but they sound amazing. And like I haven't listened to the whole thing yet. Like half the record is instrumentals, um, but man, it's so wild to think someone stole the CD out of Tom White's car, uploaded it on the that, internet, that and I downloaded it from some WordPress blog. You know what I mean? Sound real. It's wild. So it's like, it's literally stuff that no one was supposed to hear. It's dreamy weather. We're on. You waved your crooked wand. Before we let you go, uh, Lucas is going to give us... Here's the record you need to get into. This is the now, next record we're doing. I struggled so much because there's so many albums I want to talk about. I know there are. That's the problem. I'm a little worried. All right, so I thought what I'd do is I'd leave it up to chance. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to give you a choice between my right hand or my left hand. Okay. My right hand... Uh, I, I wanted to put like, I wanted to put like a, a color value to it. So on the right, the color value is yellow. Okay. And on the left, the color value is gold. 
Oh. So I want you to choose between the two. Not dissimilar colors. No, but I want you to choose between gold and yellow. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick gold. Okay. And next time we meet, we're talking about Casey Musgraves' Golden Hour. Oh, I like it. I like now, it. This is a record that's been pretty big for me and my wife, so, you know, I got a lot to say. Well, I'm excited to hear what you say. So, all right, listeners, next episode, Casey Musgraves, Golden Hour. Listen to it. Okay, buddy. Well, it's been a real treat. Like and subscribe. So Lucas, I got. <laughs> Sorry. I Can got, you just save that for the end of the Yeah, I'll save that. I